Blog Talk Radio. website, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie, that's C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E, and you'd like to call in and talk with our guests, our hosts, or to just add your comments and memories. 
then why not call us at 213-816-1611. That's area code 213-816-1611. I'll see your number on the caller's board, on my producer's board, and ask if you'd like to join the host and share those memories with us. You know, we're a satellite-based radio station and heard around the world. As a matter of fact, we have listeners in over 50 countries now, and we picked up two last week. Well, no, three. We picked up Croatia, Egypt, and New Zealand added to the 30 that listened to us the previous week. So we're getting around the world with our broadcast, and uh, uh, we're glad they're listening in. Oh, and uh, our broadcast antenna is over 22,000 miles above the Earth, so that's why we get around the world so easily. We're not restricted to just a few miles down the road. And uh, let me repeat the number again if you'd like to call in. It's 213-816-1611. Why not call us now? Oh, uh, the sound clip you heard at the opening of the show was the musical jingle for Spirit Airlines. Uh, we try to uh, play a theme music, a theme song, branding music, or whatever we want to call it with the airline, with a, a different airline with each show that we have. We're kind of running out of airlines now, and we're getting down to just a few left, but uh, we have done a number of airlines, and uh, uh, that was uh, a jingle that was used, I guess, boarding and uh, the flight attendants use, uh, I think probably Southwest Airlines started that, uh, jokingly reading the uh, instructions. Uh, we have uh, a flight attendant with us on the air today, so I'm going to ask her about that, whether she ever did uh, any kind of jingle or cute uh, uh, announcement uh, to the passengers. <laughs> but we'll bring, uh, we'll bring a different airline each time. And one more thing before we do our program today, uh, I want to remind you that we do a show Monday evening at 8 p.m., Monday evening at 8 p.m. Now, you don't have to uh, come uh, to, the, uh, to your uh, computer and listen to the show then. Uh, you can pick it up anytime because just as soon as we do the one-hour broadcast, it goes into our archive, and you can listen to that show uh, through the archive of blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash Captain Eddie. And listen to uh, episode, we're doing episode four this Monday night. And that means we've done three episodes now just telling stories about Eastern Airlines. We had a lot of requests because we are, this format is for all airlines. We not only do Eastern but we uh, have Piedmont, uh, Allegheny, um, just whoever wants to talk about their airline, sharing their memories and stories with us. So, but Monday night, 8 p.m., uh, we have memories of a great airline, as told by the people of Eastern Airlines. Uh, just some of the stories that we talk about, uh, Eddie, Captain Eddie uh, came with Eastern in 1935. A lot of folks think that Captain Eddie was the founder of Eastern Airlines, and that was not true. It started back uh, with Harold Pitcairn in 1927, and then Pitcairn sold it to uh, 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 Clement Keyes, and it was changed the name to Eastern Air Transport. And then uh, Rickenbacker came 
1935 as the president and he uh, with a group uh, purchased the airline. And then we had a story about Jim Holder, who's with us today, and uh, his great story, which we've played many times over the years. It's called the Gooseneck Filler, and and you can just kind of see Jim when he was young uh, out there on that Electra uh, engine trying to, uh, I don't know what he was trying to do. Jim, you're with us? What were you trying yes, to do I'm with that good. oil, trying to fill that engine or I was, whatever? Well, if you remember on the Electra, you could look through a little center of the prop on your pre-flight and you had to see a level of oil in the center of that prop as I recall a little bitty gauge and you actually saw oil in there because you need oil to control the pop and uh, and uh, it was uh, hot that day it was in Raleigh Durham and we're getting ready to go to New York I think and so I went in and told the captain you know we this number three engine out there it doesn't show enough oil or any oil at all and he said we'll put some in there and I said, what? <laughs> you know, I said, I don't know how to put any oil in that prop. You know, and I was sort of new on the electric, but I don't think anybody knew how to put it in. It's a flight engineer type. I was a flight engineer, you know. And so uh, he said, well, go get the ramp guys and see what they got. Well, they had some oil. And they and so they said, well, we'll just bring a ladder out here, and you can climb up on this ladder. And it was a gooseneck oiler. And if you remember back in the 20s, when they added oil to a car or something, they would put this gooseneck down in there. Then you'd reach up there and pour uh, oil, two quarts or whatever it was, and we were standing on the ground, and you know it was easy to do. So uh, <laughs> they had a gooseneck oiler, and I said, "Holy, I can't believe this!" So I leaned hmm. it up against the engine, and I started taking the screws off so I could open the cow because I told the captain I knew there was a place in there that you could pour oil in. Well. I found it, and I had a little bit of wrench, and I dropped my wrench, and it went clickety-clackety-clickety-clackety down to the concrete, and, of course, the ramp guys were like, and all the passengers were looking at me. I looking at me. This was a number three engine on the left side. No, it was number two engine. And, uh, and the captain kept looking back at me through his window, and so I had to crawl down and look for my wrench, and I finally found it, and finally got back up there, and I stuck this gooseneck oiler down in there, and they handed me two quarts of oil, and we didn't know how much it was going to take, but we figured if I could get oil to show through that little gauge, we could fly the airplane. So I reached up there, and I started pouring oil, and it filled up that capacity, and then you pull a lever, and the oil runs out and supposedly goes into the hole down there. Well, part of it went down into the hole down there. The rest of it came down my arm, down through my uniform, down through my waist, packed the food in around my belt, went down my right leg, and by now I was really getting a, I was a mess. And this is 30 minutes after we were supposed to have left, and I've got more oil on my right side of my body that's in the engine. I know it had to be. And uh, make a long story. <laughs> hey, listen, save some of it for people to tune in and listen to the rest of the story. Don't give the rest of it away. Let's let's uh, let's uh, get get folks that, that will tune us in and listen to the rest of your story. Your story is a great story. Well, I do I have to start sing. over? <laughs> no, no, no. It's already recorded. It's already been recorded. Oh. Uh, Harry Lindquist did a recording of it, and he did a wonderful job uh, reading the entire story. And I don't want to give away 
the the very exciting end of this story. So we're going to tease <laughs> our listeners right now and shut up, Jim. <laughs> so let's let Harry let's let Harry tell the rest of the story. It's a great story. Okay. Okay. And um, I'm going to tell mine in a little bit, but uh, at any rate. Uh, he does. Uh, Harry, uh, Harry has done my recording of a story that I wrote called Boom Boom, and uh, mm-hmm. the only time I'd ever been late for a flight in uh, in my career with Eastern Airlines, and uh, I happened to be following Boom Boom around the Los Angeles terminal, TWA's terminal, and I became late for my flight, uh, 30 minutes late to be exact, and uh, that's a good story. Harry tells it real well. I didn't want to deliver it myself because I it was uh, I wrote it. But at any rate, we've got great stories and um and uh, we've done probably now three times uh, 7 20 21 24 stories uh in the three episodes and we still got a long way to go uh because there's some great stories with the publications that we have Jim Holder uh, was the editor of the magazine. I was the editor prior to him, Bill Malone prior to me, and we put some great stories in the book, called, I mean, a magazine called Repartee, the Retired Eastern Pilots. Uh, uh, R-E-P-A-R-T-E, Pilots Association. Repartee. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember association there. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, about... I don't know, what was it, 40 years or so of magazines. And um, so we take a lot of stories. And then I've published a book called The Wings of Many. And we take stories out of uh, those publications. And then I have the very original newsletters that were called News Wings, volume one through seven. That's seven years that Harold Pitcairn owned the airline when he first started it. And then it was sold to Eastern Air Transport. So I'm taking some stories dated way back to the beginning of, of the Eastern's history. So it's good listening. And like I say, uh, listen to it at bedtime because they're probably the stories put you right to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and I know uh, there's – hey, you know, uh, Sharon, you got a great voice. I'd love for you to read some of these female stories. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> Got to volunteer. The whole world knows. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> All right. But they are fun to do, and uh, we do one hour of them. And in between each story, we do an Eastern ad advertisement dating way the back to the forties. Way back to the forties. So uh, it's uh, it's it's fun. It's only one hour, and. Uh, uh, I think you'll uh, be entertained, and it's stories about all departments of the airline, uh, ramp service, mechanics, flight attendants, uh, marketing, sales, you, you name it, uh, the reservations. Uh, so we try to share stories from all the departments of uh, the airline. It's good, good listening, we think, and uh, Harry does a great job. Uh, I don't know about myself, uh, but um, at any rate, uh, we hope you'll tune in, and you tuned it in just the same way you tuned us in today listening to us. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. And um, you'll see episode one, two, and three already done, and episode four will come up Monday night. And um, 
So now our story, uh, our topic today, rather, is uh, is about uh, uh, folks that uh, say they are who they are not. I guess is a good way of putting it. And and uh, I found this little remark: if online dating has taught us anything, it's that people lie. <laughs> some some by using decades-old photos, while others lie about where they live or who they live with. It's not also that uncommon to find people lying about their credentials or work experience. There are some professions you would think would be harder to impersonate than others. Surely a surgeon would be easy to spot, uh, hopefully before given any kind of scaffold or saw. But what about a pilot? How hard would it be to impersonate a pilot or a flight attendant, for that matter, or alternatively fly without a license or proper credentials? So our host, uh, first host, we're going to start off with Captain Jim Harris. Now, Jim, a little bit about Jim here. He He's living out there in Dripping Springs, Texas. It sounds like just the name is hot. Dripping Springs. Hello, Jim Harris. <laughs> Hello, Neil, and greetings, everyone. It's another wonderful day. Okay. All right, just a wonderful day. That's all there is to it, huh? I can do more than that. <laughs> hey, it, it's, well, a ple- it's a pleasant, and Dripping Springs, Texas day, it's a very pleasant 74 degrees. I got a clear blue sky. I don't see a single cloud anywhere. Light breeze. It's another typically wonderful day here in Dripping Springs, Texas. Great okay. place to live. Well, now that sounds pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Dripping Springs, it sounds like it's way out lost somewhere in that big state of Texas. Where exactly is Dripping Springs? <laughs> Where we, we, we're, uh, we're about 15 miles due west of downtown Austin, Texas. Oh. I sometimes wish it was further, but that's the best we can do. Well, you're, the good you're news probably is I do. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Hey, the, the good news is I do have 22 acres on a hill on a dead end road. Okay. And I rather I like going... that because I don't have any neighbors. Yeah, there you go. I bet it's... you're the last traffic light out of Austin, Texas. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I moved here in '97. Uh, we yeah. had a this, and I liked it that we had a red light, a Mexican restaurant, and a post office. Oh and wow! What more could you need than that? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe a, a, a box of Coca-Cola on ice outside the gas station. <laughs> oh yeah, we had that. Of course, we could get a Coca-Cola. Good cold Coca-Cola is hard to beat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's tell us about a little bit about this first character that we're going to meet that uh, flew without a license. Uh, how about telling us, sir, telling our listeners about this guy, Jim? That'd be host number one? Yeah. Okay. I am host number one. Years after his story came to light, social media users still fascinated by how he did it. William Chandler, a South African pilot, had resigned after it was found he had a fake license. He was flying for the last 20 years, raised a screenshot of an apparent tweet. 
image the image accrued more than 1,200 shares in the first few hours of being online. Other recent recent versions of the image accumulated more than 28,000 shares. Surprising, the claim is true. After 20 years working for South African Airways, Chandler was arrested and charged in 2019, local news outlet reported at the time. Host two. I'm going to ask Jim Holder to be host number two and continue the story, Jim. Oh, very well. Chandler started working at South African Airways as a senior first officer, otherwise known as a co-pilot, in 1994. The South African newspaper Mail and Guardian reported that in 2019. The airline found out Chandler had forged his airline transport pilot license in March of 2019 after investigation was open due to reported turbulence issued during an international flight in November 2018 that was reported by USA Today in 2019. Now, the airline transport license is required to operate its captain on a large commercial multi-crew aircraft. The certification requires a minimum of 1,500 hours of flying, of which 250 must be as a captain and 100 of those 250 uh, must be at night. The airline said in a statement Chandler's lack of ISOMs hadn't presented, quote, any safety risk to SAA, abbreviation for the airline, I guess, uh, operations as the pilot in question was in possession of a valid commercial pilot's license and was monitoring the pilot and not the commander of the aircraft. USA Today reported that. It remains unclear when Chandler forged his license, but the airline's policy requires pilots to obtain it within five years of Chandler, I mean of employment, in other words, as captain. Chandler had a commercial pilot's license, which allows pilots to operate commercial flights, but not real long international flights. A company spokesman said South African Airways was opening a criminal case of fraud against Chandler. He said, quote, necessary steps will be taken to recover the money unduly paid to him, end quote. Chandler was arrested and charged with fraud in March of 2019, the Mail and Guardian, that the newspaper reported. His second appearance in front of a court was expected May 14th of that year, and USA Today couldn't find any records of what happened. Now, Chandler isn't, wasn't the only first or pilot to forge a license, however. In 2010, a Swedish pilot was arrested in the Netherlands as he sat in a cockpit ready to fly a Boeing 737 aircraft with 101 passengers to Turkey. Now, that was uh, the Seattle Times reported. I'm not sure if that's Seattle of the country, I mean, in the Netherlands. The pilot was suspected of flying with a forged license for more than a decade. Now, Sharon, I don't think you have the script in front of you, do you, Sharon? No, no. Okay. Well, I'm going to take this part three here, and uh, I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk a little bit about, more about another pilot. But uh, the pilot con men, such as Tom Salm, uh, I guess it's Salme, Jimmy Lane, and Tom Cook are a dark but interesting side of our pilot fraternity. For the most part, pilots are a pretty straight-laced bunch. (laughs) 
uh, chuckle about that one. Uh, pilots, tend, <laughs> pilots tend to be self-controlled and disciplined. I chuckle about that one. Pilots play by the rules and try to strictly adhere to limitations and good operating practices. For the most part, but once in a while, pilots are not exactly as described. Now, we can't talk about this subject without a mention of Frank Abnail, A-B-A-G-N-A-L-E. Abnail is best known because of the 2002 movie, Catch Me If You Can. Abnail posed as a pilot for Pan American International Airways in order to get jump seats and free employee travel privileges, but he never actually flew a plane. And this was the extent of his con game. He also posed as a doctor and an attorney, served 13 years in various prisons, and today runs a consulting company serving banks and businesses to help them uncover fraud. As you remember, Tom Hanks played the part of uh, Abnail, Abagnail, I guess that's the way it's pronounced. Now, the other guy, Tom Salme, flew as a captain for several airlines for 13 years, and he accrued 10,000 hours without having a pilot's license. He forged a Swedish pilot certificate and applied to Italy's Air One Airlines and was hired as a first officer. He then applied and was hired, uh, hired by Corindum Airlines in Turkey, although he left briefly to fly for Great Britain's Jet 2. He returned to Corindon uh, after 10 months and flew a kept as captain on a Boeing 737. It was, uh, according to Salme, it was surprisingly easy, he said. The documents took different, uh, looked different everywhere in Europe, and an Italian airline doesn't know what a Swedish license looks like, and you can forge all of the IDs that you need. A friend who worked for Scandinavian airline, SAS, let him use their flight simulator at night, and he trained there for two or three hours at a time, around 15 to 20 minute, uh, times, rather, over 18 months, just to gain proficiency. In March 2010, Salme was sitting in the left seat of his Boeing 737, running through the checklist as 101 passengers boarded Following a tip from an anonymous Swedish source, police entered the flight deck while still at the gate of Amsterdam's Chipotle Airport and arrested him. He later said, I got the crackpot idea, I got this crackpot idea to apply as a co-pilot at a real airline, so I made myself a, a Swedish flying permit with a logo out of regular white paper. It wasn't laminated, and it looked like something I'd made at home. Somi was fined the equivalent of what would amount to $10,300 of today's U.S. dollars. Now, he is now a professional photographer and says, the moral point of view is that I feel ashamed that I did lie, but I didn't ever feel, not once, that I put passengers in an unsafe position. Wow. Man, isn't that something? 
Mm-hmm. Now we got another one here. I'm going to ask Jim uh, Jim Jim uh, Harris to go ahead and start telling us about this uh, this uh, Monsanto chief pilot. Okay, here I'm host number one. Former Monsanto chief pilot Ralph Piper encountered his experience with a pilot who who purported to have a pilot's license that had been issued by the FAA with an unlimited rating. With great appalm, Tom Cook was hired to teach pilots in the link trainers and ground school and served as a check pilot at a St. Louis fixed-based operator. He had signed off hundreds of pilots for the instant rating check rides, instant rating check rides, but in every case, removed the hood from a student's head in time to permit the pilot to land the airplane, since he couldn't. Oh his prof- hmm? yeah. yeah. His profession, military background was sterling as a commissioned officer with the gallant tales of cool handling a B-17 and B-25 emergency preceded by a career flying Hollywood superstars of the day. <clears throat> Upon completion of his military service as Cyril Aerodox Association, predecessor of the FAA, <clears throat> conferred on, upon such a pilot grander pilot uh, upon such a pilot of grandeur, a pilot license contained an unlimited rating. Wow, he must have been an extraordinary pilot. When St. Louis-based Monsanto needed the co-pilot, their chief pilot thought hiring a local pilot like Cook would be a great idea. Uh, once in Monsanto's pilot rotation, Chief Pilot Piper noticed that it was evident Cook suffered from poor eyesight and terrible judgment, and was unable to land an airplane at all. Even though the approach to an airport might be completed, completed without pilots needed, without pipers needing to assume control of the airplane, Cook would set up to land way short, or way long of the runway, and the chief pilot had to take over the controls. So disturbing was Cook's performance that Piper moved him from the general rotation, and Cook only flew with Piper so he could watch him. One night at 4,000 feet. The Monsanto DC-3 was in the clouds and began picking up ice. As the propeller threw the ice against the fuselage, the resulting noise augmented with severe engine vibration due to the imbalance caused by an uneven shedding of ice. When Piper told Cook to repress a different altitude, there was no response. When looking over to his co-pilot, Piper saw that Cook was as white as a sheet, sweating profusely, stiffs aboard, and in shock. Piper landed the airplane alone as Cook remained catatonic. The wake-up call that night was made, and Piper never used Cook again on a flight. Shortly after, Cook was joyriding an airplane and buzzed the farmer to the point he had to leap off a moving tractor to safety. Cook went to pull up but hit some trees, totally the airplane, and the farmer filed a loose lawsuit in the trial. It came out that Cook held no pilot's license and in fact, had used a pilot license, had used a pilot license number of a commercial pot in Pennsylvania on his forgery. He was convicted, but story ended three weeks later when he died peacefully in his sleep. Number two. Wow, wow. I you know. know before we read this one, uh, Jim Holder, I think it's the last one, um, and this is uh, about uh, a pilot that we probably know. Uh, I never met him, but I sure remember hearing about him. And I think you might have heard about him too, Jim Holder. But uh, he was released. Yeah, Jim Harris, you did too. And um, 
but at any rate, uh, Jim Holder, how about telling us uh, about uh, Eastern's uh, unlicensed pilot? Yes, perhaps the most interesting, interesting of the pilot con men to me is Jimmy Lane. I heard about him, but I never met him. Jimmy Lane held only a private pilot license with hoodwinked hoodwink, Eastern Airlines into hiring him in 1958. 19, let's see, let's see. Or he wanted to fly, and he talked his way into cadet training with the Navy and later the Marines. He actually flew as pilot on bombers during the Korean War, being discharged in 1955 with two Purple Hearts from shrapnel room during combat. That was real. He returned to his native Texas and wrangled a crop-dusting job, still holding only a private license. He then moved to Guatemala and crop-dusted until being called in for an interview with Eastern. He successfully trained and became a line-qualified pilot for Eastern as co-pilot on the Martin 404, the DC-4, the DC-6s, the DC-7s, the Lockheed Electras, the Lockheed Constellations, and the Convair 440. Not once. In all of this training or during the required check-ride events, did anyone ask to see his license? During the Eastern interview, he told him he had a commercial license, which was partially true. He had a Guatemalan commercial, which was neither ICAO recognized or real nor acceptable by Eastern. And his only recognized license in the military was a private, private pilot. After 11 years of flying for Eastern, he stopped by the chief pilot's office one day. I think he was based in Washington. I'm not sure. Yeah, he And was. mentioned that he yeah. had just obtained a DC-9, that's a jet, type rating on his own. The secretaries updated their pilot's master list, and soon Lane's seniority made him eligible to upgrade as a captain on the DC-9. Because he feared that the paperwork at Easton's type rating school might tip off the FAA, Lane chose to schedule the check ride without the benefit of any training. In the coming weeks, he consumed all he could about from the DC-9 manual. And on February 26, 1968, the FAA examiner Carl Darrell, something like that, administered the check ride to Jimmy Lane. At the completion of his exhausting check ride, he felt good about his performance, proved he was master of the airplane, and had passed the check ride. But then the examiner asked to see, asked him for his pilot's license. His little exception was over. The inspector mm-hmm. later stated that Lane could fly well enough, quote, although there were some minor stumbles with some of the avionics. Immediately afterwards, the FAA examiner contacted FAA's pilot record branch in Oak City, and Captain Lane's record came back as airplane, private, single-engine land. <laughs> that's not a commercial. That's not much <laughs> anything except the Piper Cub license. <clears throat> he was called into the chief pilot's office and described the meeting with somber-faced, quote, suits as a kangaroo court. He was fired and advised that the FAA would investigate, which they did, and they revoked his private pilot certificate a couple of weeks later. He appealed to the NTSB, but the FAA decision was upheld, although reduced to one-year revocation with with probation. Uh, Jimmy Lane, 
hopefully obtained a legitimate commercial license and worked for several companies as a corporate pilot. He then got hired by Atlantic Southeast Airlines in 1973 and flew a Turbo Commander and a Hawker for a Louisiana corporation. But there he returned to his native region in Texas and continually settled into legally legally flying an MU-2 single pilot for a local company. He is now 84 years old, almost. He still lives in Texas, and he's turned his attention to God, providing daily devotional and inspiration messages to an Internet following. And I'll tell you this, I remember this very well because I think the FAA told Eastern that they had two days, maybe three days, to check every pilot on Eastern Airlines' life. And I can remember the poor old check captains in Atlanta. They were beating their kids out, having to go out to crime on the pain before it took off to make sure that the captain and the co-pilot, the first officer, the second officer, or whatever, had a license. And I can remember well, dragging mine out, the poor old check captain checked me off of this list that looked about 25 pages, and uh, the whole crew, and uh, we flew our airplane somewhere. Yeah. So I never met him, but I, I remember when the – you remember that, Neil? It took they had yeah. like forty-eight yeah. hours to check every Eastern pilot's yeah. license, and as I far as that. I remember, every one of them were valid. Yeah. How about you, Jim Harris? Do you remember that too? I do not remember that. Yeah. But of yeah, course, I, remember. I always had a valid license. That was a yeah. good thing. <laughs> well, I was just going to bring that up. Uh, I, that was the only time I think I have ever been checked, which was. Uh, an administrative check because of uh, Jimmy Lane, and uh, uh, that never having, and I'm sure Jim Harris and Jim Holy, both of you, had the FAA just as many times on your flights as I did, doing what they call a, a line check. Uh, the FAA mm-hmm. sits behind the captain and goes on usually one or two legs, maybe flies out and then flies back on the same uh, airplane. But uh, and a lot of times out of Atlanta, it would be Atlanta to Los Angeles and and then maybe catch a flight back. The FAA would catch a flight back home to Atlanta. But never, never was I ever asked for my license, or I should say, uh, by the way, it's... Uh, uh, there is no such thing as a pilot's license. I'd like to clear that up right now. It's kind of like calling uh, anyone that has a real estate license a realtor. Well, there's no such thing as a realtor license, and there's no such thing as a commercial pilot's license or a mechanic's license or a flight engineer license. It, it does not exist. It's called a certificate. That's correct. And there's the difference. There's a difference between a license and a certificate. A license you pay for, and usually it's time limited, and you renew it every year. A certificate you do not pay for, and it does not need to be renewed. That's the difference. But we have accepted the word license for a pilot license. So that's what it will be, I guess, forever, uh, uh, mm-hmm. referred to as a license. Uh, so 
Now, I know flight attendants don't have licenses. They, I don't mm -hmm. know whether they have a certificate or not, Sharon. Did you have a certificate or a license? Or when you finished your flight attendant training course and you were uh, solo, went solo by yourself on your first flight, was there any kind of certificate that was given to you by the FAA? No. Uh, what we did is we got a, like a graduation uh, diploma saying yeah. that we completed our training. And then, of course, we always had um, to do recurrent training, um, and then we got past whoever the instructor was saying that we were competent. Okay. But, but talking right. about this, too, I'm also a registered nurse, and um, we had that one male nurse up in New Jersey in Philly area that was convicted of um, killing some of his patients. Uh -huh. And then from that point on, uh, to get our license, we also had to get fingerprinted oh. to make sure we had no background, criminal background. Um, but that never happened with the airlines. But I just remember that when you're talking about having a license, because we do have a nursing license. Yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the flight attendants originally were hired only as nurses. I mean, you had to be a nurse to, to become a hostess, a flight hostess, right. as they were ho called back in those days. Tough. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, this kind of I, – I, I started thinking about the fact that uh, – who was it? Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio or somebody like that that played the Catch that's Me? Who, yeah, that's who it was. Okay. Yes. That was him. Yeah, I did a good job, and and um, um, and he kind of looked like a pilot, you know, had certain swagger about him, and all the all the flight attendants. Of the, well, at any rate, uh, I was <laughs> sharing this story out in my front porch, which is the opening of my garage becomes my front porch every afternoon at four o'clock. And I was sharing some <laughs> of these stories that we were going through today with them last night. And I was I was telling them about uh, these stories and um, about how easy it would be for a pilot. But I, I just, well, it, it doesn't sound like it should be easy, but there are a lot of things that you heard that uh, people don't don't ask to see your license, you know, uh, if you have a private license, and let's say you just got your check ride yesterday, and then all of a sudden you can fly passengers in your Cessna 172, and all you have to do is tell somebody that is not a pilot, hey, you want to go and let's fly today? I can carry passengers. and Let's fly up and down the beach. And... That person says, yeah, let's go, and gets in the airplane, not ever asking to see that person's certificate or license. They just have, they, they trust your word. They accept the fact mm -hmm. that you tell them that you're going to fly. I guess they think that, well, he's not going to be fool enough to kill himself, so therefore I'll go with him. But well, um, go ahead. And you often read about these people, too. Yeah. And that reminds me of um, JFK Jr. flying up to yeah, uh, yeah. 
yeah. that wedding and not having a oh, exactly. instrument rating. Oh, my gosh. Well, he had an instrument rating. However, he was not proficient. You know, he got the minimum oh, no. requirements out of the way, got his rating, uh, but uh, actually not many people after they get their instrument rating go out deliberately and fly in clouds just to get the practice of it. That's done usually in a simulator or a duplicator, and um, and it works quite well. But uh, this guy never did. He got up there and got into a condition that he had spatial disorientation and lost control of the airplane. They just had a pilot reported here in our area that did the same thing and uh, recently and uh, got into weather. He had just gotten his instrument rating and his multi-engine rating. And he was flying a multi-engine airplane. He killed himself and the passengers in his airplane. Oh, how awful. Yeah. I, I remember, Jim Harris remembers what his flight instructor told him as, as an inspector designee. As soon as I got my instrument rating, he said, now, Jim, what's the first thing you're supposed to do with it? I said, his name was Elmo D. Merriweather out of Nashville, Tennessee. He flew for Angamoy. He said, what's the first thing you're supposed to do with it? Uh, I don't know. And he says, put it in your pocket and forget you got it. <laughs> Pretty darn good advice. <laughs> you know, I've been telling my little brother, and he crashed his airplane in the Gulf of Mexico, and uh, he was a hero because he saved everybody on the board of the airplane. And and uh, I've been trying to get him to get his instrument rating. And he says, Neil, he says, I don't want an instrument rating. I don't want one. I won't fly in weather. And I kept telling him, well, sometimes you, you can't help but go through some weather. If you fly enough, you're going to encounter a, a condition that's, that, that you wish you did have an instrument rating. And, uh, but uh, after he ditched that airplane, he ditched, ditched the idea of owning an airplane again. But just recently he called me and told me he brought a twin-engine Seneca. <laughs> so, and he doesn't have a multi-engine rating. So he has to have a pilot to fly him because the insurance company won't insure him unless he has 250 hours flying multi-engine airplanes. <laughs> so, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But here's my question to you, Sharon. Uh, would it would it be possible? It seems like to me it, it could be uh, that a let's say a person like. Uh, this fellow that uh, catch me if you can, just wanted to travel and wanted to get from point A to point B and point B being in Europe. And then uh, they know a little bit about flying and they've watched enough flight attendants do their job. And they say, hey, that's not, uh, I, I can buy me a, a uniform, a, a Delta or American or United uniform and join the crew. Could that be possible, Sharon? I don't think so, not nowadays, because you have to have your ID and you're going through security and the other crew members. I mean, normally you do a pre-flight or, you know, a crew, yeah. uh, what position you're going to be working and yeah. all that beforehand. I wouldn't think so, but, you know, somebody could try it. You know, people do everything, yeah. anything. Yeah. That's true. Even cut people open and, and do surgeries. Yeah. Oh. Take, uh, but, I know, uh, it's crazy. 
one of the fellows asked me, he said, do you remember that movie that starred Tony Curtis? And he was on a, he was in the Navy, I think, out in sea. And he performed surgery and he told everybody he was a surgeon. And mm-hmm. he performed surgery on one of the crew members on, on the naval ship. And I, I said, no, I can't recall that movie. But uh, I don't either. <laughs> Maybe. I, I remember Tony Curtis. I'm old enough to remember him. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember well, him. Um, I don't well, think Jim, I could do surgery. <laughs> I don't think I, don't I, think I could either. <laughs> there there used to be. You guys remember that TV commercial? It's off the air now and probably required to be taken off because the guy was on the phone, on his smartphone, and he had the scaffold on his chest, and he was repeating what he heard over the phone. Now, make the decision down three inches. And Do you remember that commercial? I don't remember that one. I've never seen it. I I thought it was the most hilarious commercial I've ever seen. <laughs> and he looked at himself, am I about to do this? This guy's telling me to cut myself down 3 inches. And and apparently somebody must have tried it. <laughs> and they took the commercial off the air. Uh-oh. Oh boy. Yeah, so Well, at any rate, um Jimmy Lane had hey, t- Yeah. Hey, Neil, there's a bunch of dummies running around that forget to clean their window. And that's the window where their belly button is. Oh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, they forget to clean their window, and I won't go any further with that one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, to wrap this thing up, Jimmy Lane had no intersperses, uh, had to, to intersperse his aviation career with numerous other jobs. He was a garbage truck driver, a convenience store manager, and numerous corporate and regional airline pilot jobs. No doubt his resume looked like a crazy quilt of disjointed <laughs> careers, as so many pilots do. Lane even was offered a job by the FAA, can you believe this, as an inspector, but chose to accept an offer as a corporate pilot flying job that came in at the same time. But he overcame the obstacles and distrust that his mistakes, impatience, deception, shortcuts created a balance with the legitimate achievement. And, um, well, anyhow... uh, we might not agree with the ways and means of these aviators as they are considered scoundrels, but their <laughs> sounds like an English word, but their perseverance deserves a degree of admiration. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We call it, you must, must have had big, well, you know what? You as a pilot believe in abiding by the rules of conduct, uh, conduct and laws that govern aviation. Even so, you will probably encounter discouraging hurdles as you claw your way through your career. What we might infer from these men is if they can do it, you as a non-scoundrel should never let impediments along your way throw you off your course. Stay the course. Which we haven't. Which we haven't. And um, I've I've thought about another uh, show topic, and we might do it next week. It's called Clowns in the air. 
Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I'm referring to Sherry, not flight attendants, but I'm referring to pilots who were clowns in the air. Okay. And on the ground, I might say, on the ground, too. But, hmm. yeah. Hmm. And I've hmm. got several things that I can bring up, but uh, at any rate, there were some folks that did some strange things uh, in the air. Um, well, Neil, yeah. before we hang up, tell me one more time when I'm going to get down off this damn ladder. Well, I tell you what. I tell you what. Go ahead, Jim, and finish the rest of the story. Like Paul Harvey would say. Okay. As y'all may recall, I'm up there on the ladder and the oil's running down my arm. Most of it, little of it's going into the engine. And these guys on down on the ground down there are laughing, just tearing on and just going right on down through my shoes. Well, I finally got the nut back in there, the plug or whatever, and got it tightened down. Somehow I got the dowling shut. And I was walking by the tail of the airplane to get back around and get in it. And my right foot, left a great big oil imprint. If you could you look like I had one leg and you could look behind me and see all that oil. I went up the stairs, you know, the lecture had stairs, air stairs, and I did the same thing. There was oil on every step and I walked in there and the captain turned around and said, You know, you're doing a real good job and I said, Geez, my niece. So I sat down and this oil is going I had to buy a whole new uh pants and underwear and shoes and everything, you know. And uh and I thought at least he might move up a good report or something, but as far as I know, nobody ever did a damn thing for me doing that. Well Jim and that's Jim a true story. Listen, I mean, that's well, not that, that's not making up nothing. Everything I right. the, the 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 guys were laughing at me but I put oil all over their ramp and they probably had to go out there and clean it up after we left. Was it was it your last leg? Were you going home after you got the engine started? No, <laughs> no. We went from Raleigh to LaGuardia, and then I think we hopped around the Carolinas, and I was based in Chicago at the time. But we finally, you know, late that evening, got back, and and uh, I did go in the restrooms, and everything like that got papers and tried to drive myself off all over the place. But it was a mess, and I had to fly, you know, for another. Five, six, seven, eight hours. And, uh, and, I, and I, I'm not exaggerating. This was just that's a true story. Yeah. But it didn't even get a good, a good, good board list of nothing, nothing. <laughs> oh, attaboy. Well, attaboy. That's what I'm trying to say. There you go. Well, we got about five minutes left, so it's going to take us that to get out of here. So uh, I'm going to say <laughs> thanks for the show today, guys. You did a great job and. Uh, interesting reading and i'm sure it's a little bit more difficult today to do what we just heard some pilots did back in the day yeah yeah i would imagine much more difficult much more with the security there well i can i can just say we had a lot more fun yesterday than we are today in today's world flying I think uh, that's true from what I hear. If I'm the, if I'm I'm the captain, if I'm the captain, I'm still going to run the place. Yeah. And you yeah. should. So I have a lot to do with what happens if I'm the captain. Yeah. And so it's still going to be fun. How is it back in the back of the cabin crew, uh, Sharon? Do you do you 
do you have any problems with your crew members or do they want to do it their way? Uh, um, well, I, what well, I haven't flown in so many years, but it just seemed like if you were the senior flight attendant, you know, you would charge of a lot of, uh, things like getting every, all the forms and everything done. And we yeah. had a few interesting characters. Yeah. <laughs> like so the story that we, like the story we tell the Monday night tickled her fancy. And, um, and that was a story about this captain, like I say, clowns in the air. Well, he had his way of uh, doing things, and uh, the story is titled Tickled Her Fancy. Flight attendant to, uh, uh, complained to the captain that she had a crew member, flight attendant, that wouldn't work along with the others. And he says, well, which one is it? And tell me when she goes to the bathroom. And you'll have to tune in. You'll have to tune in Monday night's episode number two to hear the rest of the story. Okay. <laughs> it's called Tickle Her Fancy. <laughs> okay, guys. Jim Harris, how about you checking us out of here? Okay. Well, it looks like we're about out of time <clears throat> this week. So we'll see if... Captain Hop Harrigan put us down jetting until we again take off adventures in the yet unknown. It's all yours, Hop. Feeling well, friends, all clear. Okay, this is Hop Harrigan coming in.
Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.